0: Good morning. The title of this morning's message is, God has a plan. And I always love when I minister that you know, Pastor C gets up here and he gets his toes all over my message. <laughs> I love that. I love that because it's just God saying, you heard. You heard me. See? See? You heard me. So uh, that especially blesses my heart. When I asked the Lord what he wanted me to minister on this week, he hammered this idea. He says, you've got to tell them. God has a plan. And you think, well, God, they know that. He goes, no, no, you need to tell them. Whatever situation they're in, whatever hard place they're at, God has a plan. He has a plan. And His plans are good. Now, His plans aren't always easy. His plans aren't always convenient. But His plans are always good. One of the things that happens when God has a plan is God sends a word because he wants you to know the plan. God doesn't cause his plans to come to pass without our participation, without our accepting his plan. So he's going to send a word. But whatever plan it is, it's going to be a good plan. Jeremiah 29.11 says this, For I know the thoughts I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. I've always loved this scripture. The Lord gave it to me about 25 years ago. And when he had given it to me, I had never heard it before. I didn't know it was in the Bible. But it was one of the darkest times of my life. My first marriage came to an abrupt end. I never expected to ever be divorced. But that's what happened. <laughs> and when, when the marriage ended, I felt like everything else ended too. God had given me promises. God had told me, even as a a young mother with little tiny children, you're called to be a missionary. And I was like, are you sure about that? (laughs) I got diapers and bottles up to my ears. A a missionary? Really? And then he told me, you're called to be a pastor's wife. I was married to somebody who wasn't saved. It's like, did, did you see who I'm married to? And God says, I have a plan. And then God told me, one day you're going to be a pastor. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> how are you going to do all of this? And God says, I have a plan. But all of the years I had spent praying and interceding and planning and using the eyes of my heart to see the promises the Lord had for me, I saw them in one particular way. While I was married to this, my first husband. He's now gone on to be with the Lord. But at the time when he left, I felt like with him, he took all my promises. He took all my future. He took everything. At least that's how it felt. And it was in that darkness when I had no hope, when I saw no future. God gave me this word. I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord. I know the plans I have for you. That's how the NIV puts it. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. That was the light I needed that day. That God could still give me a future, even though it looked like my future had just walked away. When you break down these words in this particular scripture, Sorry, I did a word study on them because I I wasn't sure where I was supposed to go with this message. Because we're going to end up in in the Christmas message. And you wouldn't think that this one would get you there, but it does. (laughs) Start with the first part of this verse. For I know. Now this is God speaking. For I know. The word there, know, means simply to know. to, To know by experience. To know, specifically though, by seeing. God sees the end from the beginning. God sees what's ahead. So he says, I know by seeing it, because I think it. And the word for thoughts there is the word plans, intentions, imaginations. When we use the word plans, we're thinking of something you can see on paper. When we make plans for a building, or plans for a trip, or plans to do anything, we get a piece of paper out and we make a plan. God's plans are just as real as what we put on paper. He says, I see it, and I see it in its reality. And then he says, not only do I see these thoughts, not only do I see these plans, but I think them. And you think, what does that mean? How can you see your thoughts that you think? (laughs) God can. This word means to devise, to interpenetrate, like fabric, like weaving. And I saw this devising. We might call it orchestration. God says, I know the plans I have for you, and I am orchestrating them. I am sending this ability of mine to interpenetrate your life and orchestrate things so that What I'm seeing will come to be. And he says, I think these thoughts toward you. That word actually means to go from up high to down low. I'm thinking higher thoughts. I'm thinking things you haven't even thought of yet. I am thinking good things up here. And that they are toward you. I am sending these plans. I am sending these this weaving of mine into your life. It's toward you. And then he says, and not of evil. And not of evil. This is really important. So many people, when something bad happens, they say, God, why did you do this? God, why did you let this happen? The funeral my husband just did a week ago. 21-year-old man. In the middle of his sleep. No warning. And you know the mama's going, God. God, why? God didn't do that. And that's what they need to know. That when, when, God is not sovereign in the sense that he is orchestrating all things. He says, my orchestration is not evil. And the word evil there means affliction, calamity, distress, harm, soreness, sorrow, trouble, wickedness, wretchedness, and wrongs. He says, I don't, I don't orchestrate those things. But we know who does. It isn't that somebody's not orchestrating, (laughs) but it isn't God, and we need to know that because if you think the evil is from God, shouldn't you as a good Christian submit to it? That is what is taught today, that God is sovereign, so whatever bad thing comes along, just submit. It's God's will for you. But God says, no, that's not who I am. I am not the God of evil and he says and I think these thoughts and I devise these plans and I send them to you so that you can have a future and hope hope is a confident expectation of good (laughs) if we know that God is good and he only does good and he only gives good what should we expect from God good we should be confident of this goodness we shouldn't be doubting his goodness. We should, certainly shouldn't be applying the, uh, giving him credit, so-called, for the evil. But he wants us to have this hope, and he wants us to know that this hope gives us a future. Now, this particular scripture is actually in a letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent to the exiles in Babylon. You might say, So? <laughs> This is actually part of a scripture that many scholars believe is messianic. He, many scholars believe that the hope in the future that he was describing was Christ. You see, the, the people, these people um, was, were of the tribe of Judah. Israel in general had run amok. They were into idolatry. They were disobedient. They were falling away from the Lord. And he warned them over and over and over again and said, look, If you don't stop this, I'm going to have to put you in timeout. (laughs) And that's what he had to do. That was part of the covenant rules. God is a covenant-keeping God. And God said, if you do this, then I'm obliged to do that. And because they insisted on being rebellious, and they insisted on having their own way, and they insisted on being idolatrous, God says, okay, you've left me no choice. It's time for timeout. So he sent them into exile unto Babylon. Now he says something really interesting to them through the prophet Jeremiah. The reason I bring this up is because that is exactly how I felt that day. When my marriage came to an end, I felt like I was in the exile. <laughs> that everything everything I knew was that God had for me and God promised me was gone. You see, that's what they, they felt like too. God, you promised that we would be the deliverers. you would, From us would rise the Messiah and we would rule the world through you. And here they are being taken captive. (laughs) And that's how I felt. I felt like my whole life had been taken captive. But what he says to them is what he often says to people like me that day. And this is the letter that Jeremiah uh, wrote the word of the Lord to those in captivity. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. To all those carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too will have sons and daughters. Increase in number right there and do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city into which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. What? God sends you into time out, and he says, (laughs) make the most of it? (laughs) Make the most of your time out? Yes. He sent them into this exile to change their hearts back to him, because he could not bring the deliverer until their hearts had been changed. Now, they ended up in exile because they were naughty. I ended up in exile because somebody else was naughty. Sometimes we end up in exile we never expected to be there. A, we need to understand God has a good plan. What He said to me was live. You have a future. You have a hope. You have a confident expectation. Continue. Now, He tells them later on, you're only going to be in this timeout for 70 years. And then after that, you're coming out. You're coming back to your own land. You're coming back bigger and better and stronger. You're going to do all that I have planned for you to do but this little time out is necessary. My time out wasn't necessary, but my time out wasn't in futile either. God used it. I was told, well, it's too bad you're divorced, you can't be a minister anymore. It's too bad you're divorced because now you can't teach the Word of God. You've been disqualified. I'm like, uh, did you tell God? <laughs> Nothing in our past disqualifies us for the grace of God. His gifts and callings are without repentance. I don't know what he's promised you. I don't know how big it is. I don't know how far away it was. See, my promises were 30 years ago. Starting 30 years ago. Little by little, word by word, promise by promise. He said, look, you have a future. Look, you have a hope. There's nothing I can't do through you. And then he goes into the false prophets who told them, rebel. Rebel from where you are right now. It's hard. It's difficult. Someone else is in authority over you. Stop that immediately. Rebel. And God said, no, you're in this time out on my my plan. I need you right where you are. I'm going to use right where you are. Don't rebel. In fact, bless those over you. There is a word. (laughs) Even if they're not what you want in your life. So many times we end up in positions where people in authority over us are not Christians. People in authority over us are not (laughs) looking out for our best. And that doesn't stop God. The place I worked 10 years ago, I didn't like it. (laughs) But God said, stay. And I cried at lunchtime. (laughs) And I called my husband. And I complained to him. But God said, stay. Today, I have favor. Today, I get every other Friday off so that I can study to minister. My boss doesn't have to do that. I have favor. It doesn't matter where he places you. He says you've got favor. Amen? So don't rebel. (laughs) Don't rebel to the authority. But then he goes on to say, this is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for, for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. Why? Because I know the plans I have for you. And they are plans of good to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come to me and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and you will find me. When you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you. He doesn't play hide and seek, he says seek and find. <laughs> <laughs> I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. And I will gather you from all the nations and the places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. This last um, sentence, and I will bring you back from your captivity. We wouldn't say it that way. In fact, some translations say it a little better, the way we would say it in America. I will restore your fortunes. You see, when they went into, into captivity, they felt like they lost everything. All the promises of God, all the provision of God, all the blessing of God. They thought it was all gone because they were in timeout. (laughs) But he says, no, no, the day is coming when I will restore it all. I will restore it all. Whatever I've promised you, my gracious promises will be fulfilled in your life. The Lord is faithful. Amen. The plan and promises that God had for Israel was to bring forth the Savior of the world. And he couldn't do that if they were living in idolatry. They needed to be a separated people, a pure people, so that he could get a virgin (laughs) involved in the plan. And that's what we're going to look at next, is this virgin who got involved in the plan. In Luke chapter 1, there are two places in Scripture where we have the nativity. One is in Matthew chapter 1, and if we have time we'll look briefly at that. This is where the angel of Gabriel comes to tell this virgin that God has a plan. And it's a very good plan. Starting in Luke 1.26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Patrols in those days was like pre-married. It wasn't like an engagement we have today. This was just as binding as their wedding vows. They were like pre-married. The cultural tradition was you had a ceremony and you made commitments and you were betrothed, is what they called it. And so you were like pre-married. Well, after that commitment was made publicly, the husband was then uh, supposed to go and prepare a place for his bride. He would build a home for her and prepare for her to come and live with him. And when, the, when everything was made ready, there would be another ceremony. And then she would go home to be his wife. Now, if if in between those two events, he decided he didn't want to be married to her anymore, that this probably wasn't going to work out, he could end the relationship. But he still had to divorce her in order to do it. So it was very legally binding. So this is what betroth meant then. So... They had already made these first series of vows. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. You who are highly graced. That's what that word is. It's grace. You who are highly graced. So many people want to elevate Mary as to special. She was highly favored. So are you. So are you. It's the, same, it's the same word for grace. Grace is unmerited favor. So when he says you are highly favored, you are highly graced, there's no qualifications except God wants to. God wanted to bless her. God wanted her to be highly favored. And so she was. Greetings to you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Seems like God always has to tell us that. <laughs> Do not be afraid. Mary, you, will ha- you have found favor with God, and you will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, these are amazing promises. But you know what she's going to want to ask? How? When God gives us an amazing promise, especially one that seems impossible, what do we do first? How? How are you going to I don't see how you can do that. How? And that was her response too, is how are you going to do this? When God started to arrange my life, and weave in my life. One of the things he said to me, I I was just laying in bed like on a Saturday morning, and um, he said to me, I want to give you a husband. I became very sad. (laughs) I said, I thought you loved me. And he said, no, you don't understand. I want to give you somebody who will love you the way I love you. I have good plans. You say, I picked the first one. (laughs) <laughs> he didn't. But he picked the second one. And it was a couple of years later. God doesn't always work quickly. And he said, uh, Go work at Motorola. I'm going to send you your husband. Well, unbeknownst to Mark Testerman, <laughs> who was working a very good job, making very good money, God said, Go work at Motorola for eight seventy-five an hour. He's like, what? <laughs> but he did. <laughs> but he did. He did what the Lord told him. Because he, what he knew, even though he was young in the Lord, what he knew is, God has a plan. And if God is saying, this, this is where I need you, then that's where I need to be. And so, I had been there about a year. And I said, okay, I don't like this job. It's tedious it's boring and you said there's a husband here I don't see him <laughs> and I said everybody here is either too young too old too stupid <laughs> I, don't, I don't see anything that looks like marriage material here Lord <laughs> and God said just wait I've got a plan after I had been at Motorola for about a year I started working overtime it just so happened that he worked in the same factory I worked. They had six factories. He worked in the same factory I did. And he was started working overtime. So he started showing up on my line across from me. <laughs> and one day, we're working, and he sits down, and the Lord says, that's him. I'm like, <laughs> him? Him? <laughs> and uh, he spent the whole day trying to get me saved. didn't let me he didn't breathe he just kept witnessing (laughs) He never bothered to find out if I actually needed to be saved (laughs) so I said okay now I know who how what do I do God said nothing I said why I said, do I need to be cute and be in the general area and all that kind of stuff? <laughs> he goes, no. I don't want you to do anything. I want you to keep your eyes on me. Keep living for me. Walking with me. And let me take care of him. He said specifically, this will be a work of my hand, not a work of yours. Okay. Alright. So, time goes by. I'm following the rule. Not being where he's at. One day I thought, "You know, I could go that way to my locker after work instead of that way. And he might be, along the way, and I could say, "Hi. <laughs> so I did. Guess what? He wasn't even there. <laughs> and God said, "What'd I tell you?" <laughs> Not a work of your hand. Not a work of your hand. I've got a plan. So, like Mary, when God says miraculous things to you, he starts to show you the plan, we want to know how. How are you going to do this? This, is, this, is ha- this has to be a work of his hand. I found out from a friend of his that he didn't believe that he could be remarried. His wife divorced him when their babies were little. And he always thought he would be reunited with her. She wanted none of that. (laughs) So he thought he had to be single or be reunited. That was his theological upbringing. And I said, Lord, he doesn't even think he can get married. How are you going to do this? And he said to me, You know, if I can convince Joseph that Mary's pregnant by the Holy Spirit, I can do anything. I said, that's a good one. I, I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> but God had a plan. God had a plan for Mary, a miraculous plan. And God had a plan for me, just as miraculous. It was a work of his hand, not a work of Mary's, not a work of Joseph's. And God has a plan for you, and it's just as miraculous. It's just You're just as highly favored as, as she was. The Mary says to the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Basically, he said to her the same thing he said to me. This will be a work of my hand, not a work of yours. And then the angel answered her and said, The, the Holy Ghost will come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also, the holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. This was a work of his hands, the miraculous. About that time, after he said that, he told her, I have a confirmation for you. Now, see, this was really, he knew she would need some help in the faith department. She knew virgins did not get pregnant. (laughs) She she knew that. So she's like, okay, since there's no man involved, how exactly is this going to work? And so he tells her, the power of God is going to overshadow you, and you're going to conceive. And then he says, just so you know I'm telling you the truth, your cousin who's barren, who's too old to have babies, she is in her sixth month right now. You see, that's her confirmation. She went right then to Elizabeth's house and was out of town for three months. Now in Jewish tradition, that's how long it took to prove somebody was pregnant. <laughs> they didn't consider you pregnant until your third month. So she was there the whole time. So she's out of town for three months. Can you see why maybe Joseph had a problem with this? (laughs) What God was saying is, look, if I can do this miracle in her, I can do this miracle in you. It's no less miraculous. It's no less a work of my hand. And he wanted to confirm to her that his plan was real, it was miraculous. There was nothing she had to do except agree. And that's what she did she said be it unto me according to thy word sometimes that's all god's looking for from us be it unto me according to your word even if i don't exactly know what that means that's faith that's trust god did the same thing with me one of the things that when we worked we worked the same line he was a flirt (laughs) he was a christian flirt he was playful to the point of flirting (laughs) <laughs> he wasn't inappropriately flirty, but he flirted with every female on the line. He never flirted with me. And so I'm beginning to wonder, he must not like me at all. Now, we are not friends. We are polite. We know who, who each other is. We, I actually started going to the same church with him at his church. Still, I'm over here. He's over there. <laughs> Red sea in the middle. <laughs> no relationship at all. Just politely friendly. But I knew. And God told me to, when I should go to church there. And it had nothing to do with him. It had to do with God was positioning me. God was weaving those things about the fabric of our lives together. So I began to say, okay, Lord, maybe I got this wrong. It's been months and months and months and months, and he doesn't even seem to like me. <laughs> I know this is a work of your hand, but I don't understand. Lord, if I got this wrong, it's okay. If I misunderstood the promise, if I'm not interpreting the promise correctly, that is okay. I just want to know. I don't want to set my hope on something that doesn't belong to me. And God said, why don't you ask for a fleece? And I was like, this is your idea? Hmm, okay. Now let me back up just a bit. Earlier, because he was such a flirt, (laughs) I was not a flirt. I never flirted. I believed it was not appropriate for women to flirt with, even if you're single. I don't believe flirting is appropriate. (laughs) And so one day during a work day, we had like five breaks together at the same time. Not together, but at the same time. So we would see each other at every break. And the Lord said, he wore a red shirt, and the Lord said, tell him he looks nice. I was like, oh, no, that might be that might be construed as flirting. <laughs> <laughs> At every single break, the Lord said, tell him he looks good in red. That can't be you, God. That can't be you. That must be flirting. I'm sure that's flirting. <laughs> <laughs> this went on all day. Holy Spirit is just pushing me. I'm thinking, what is the big deal? So what if he looks good in red? Why do I have to tell him? God had a plan. You see, I didn't know what the plan was, but God had a plan. The end of the day comes. Holy Spirit is still pushing me. I'm leaving the building for the end of the day. There's no way I can make this right. God says, are you willing to try one more time? Okay, if I see him, I'll tell him. Guess who's in the parking lot by my car. God says, now you get to yell it across the parking lot. see, you could have done this easier and just nonchalantly said you look nice and red kept going But no now you get to yell it across the parking lot Good night By the way, you look really nice and red (laughs) (laughs) I was wearing red too by that time (laughs) (laughs) I thought Why on earth would this be so important? I'm sure he doesn't care. I'm pretty sure he doesn't even like me yet. Why is this important? Months later, when he's flirting with everybody but me, and God says, ask for a fleece. Well, I'm like, okay, since the fleece is your idea, why don't you tell me what to ask for? Because I don't know what I would know is your fleece unless you tell me what it is that is a work of your hand. You see, when I told him he looked good in red, he never wore it again. I was like, he must hate me. (laughs) He never wore, for months and months and months, I never saw him wear red again. And then when the Lord said, ask for a fleece, and I said, well, what should I ask for? He says, how about if he wears a red shirt? We both went to the same prayer meeting on on Thursday nights, and God said, what if he wears a, a red shirt to prayer meeting? Would that be a good enough fleece? Well, since he stopped wearing red, sure. <laughs> so I got there early, and I used to play chords, so I was worshiping and playing, and paying no attention to him, because that's what I normally did, pay no attention to him, <laughs> keep your eyes on Jesus. <laughs> and all it was was uh, he came in, and he waved from the back of the church, and I went, yeah, mm-hmm, I'm playing. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I hear the Lord start to sing look who's wearing red and he was he was wearing red and he wore red every Thursday night for a month <laughs> God said how's that well that would be a work of your hand <laughs> nothing I could uh, control God says, I want you to know you're on the right track. I want you to know the plan that you hear me speaking in your ear is from me. I don't mind confirming. I don't mind saying it again. I want you to know that you know that you know this is my plan for you. Mary needed to know. Is this really real? Am I really? Because when you're just pregnant, you don't know you're pregnant. It takes some time before the signs start to show. And so when she saw Elizabeth and the baby in her womb leaped for joy when Elizabeth heard her voice, it was confirmation. God was saying, look what I can do. Nothing is impossible. I can make the barren produce fruit, and I can make the virgin be pregnant. I can do miracles, and I can do them for you. And all you have to do is believe. All you have to do is listen to my voice, because when God has a plan, God sends his word. In this case, God sent an angel. This was before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have God in them the way we do as Christians. We can hear the Word of the Lord at any time, any time. They couldn't. But this was such a special plan. This was the plan from the big foundations of the world. God knew, and this is something we need to remember too. Some people say, "Well, I've messed my life up. I have messed up too bad. I got divorced." God can't use me. I had a child in a wedlock. God can't use me. I committed a crime and went to jail. God can't use me. We disqualify ourselves. And God says, no. Before the foundation of the world, He knew we would be mess ups. He knew His plan had to include people who messed up. (laughs) You're not disqualified because of your past, because of your mistakes. God wanted me to know that He had a plan for me. He had specially chosen Mark Testerman for Valerie. And he wanted this little, this little virgin to know, you are carrying the son of the living God. What the angel said to her was, you are carrying the son of God. She did not know what that was or what that meant. She, in her little Jewish mind, he was supposed to grow up and take over the, the country. <laughs> she had no idea. She had no idea, like the the song, Mary, did you know you were kissing the face of God? Did you know? No, she really didn't. She knew this was no ordinary child. She knew this was a work of God's hand, and no one knew like Mary knew. Mary knew there was no possible way this could be anything but the Son of God. And God had to convince Joseph so that he would know. You and I are not less special or less important to the Lord. In Joseph's narrative, when you see the nativity from Joseph's point of view, what you see over and over and over again is God does the same thing. He sends an angel, and an angel speaks the word of the Lord to them. And what he ends up doing is he ends up directing Joseph's path, interweaving and orchestrating everything in his life by a word, by a word. Herod seeks the child's life. Take your wife and baby and run to Egypt. Stay there. After he's there, another dream. Herod is dead. Take the baby and come back. (laughs) Dream after dream after dream. Word after word after word. The word of the Lord directed the paths of these two young people so that the glory of the Lord would be made manifest in the earth. One of the things that stuck out to me the most about Mary's narrative, after she says unto me, be it unto me according to your word. Actually, right before that, the angel says, he says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren in, is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible. But you know what that word nothing is? was amazes me how sometimes they translate. It's actually three Greek words. Not any. Rhema. No rhema is impossible. Whatever God speaks to you is possible. Why? Because God has already seen it. God has already planned it. God has already devised it. God has already sent those plans in to be orchestrated into your life on this earth. And in order to apprehend those things, what do we have to do? Believe. Be it unto me according to your word. I receive it. I receive it. Now if you go back to... Jeremiah 29, after he says, these are the plans I have for you, he says, when he comes back, and he brings these plans into manifestation, he says, then you will call on me, and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me, and you will find me. And you seek me with all your heart. The word for seek and for search, whatever translation you use, it's the same word. And it means just that, to seek, to find, to call out. But it also says specifically through worship. Through worship and prayer. You know why? This is my opinion. When we worship, our mind and our heart is not on us. It's on Him. When we worship, we can hear in a way we don't normally hear when we seek the Lord with all of our heart, when we worship Him for who He is and the fact that His promises are true. And He says, I will fulfill my promises. Regardless of what the circumstances look like, if you will believe like Mary, be it unto me according to your word. Be it unto me according to your word. The greatest plan was part of this plan. That from the foundations of the world, God saw you. God saw that you'd be a mess up like everybody else. God knew that you needed a Savior. You see, Mary, Mary was special in that she got she was the only one that carried Christ in her womb. But we have a far greater privilege. We carry Christ in our heart. She carried Christ as a baby. We carry Christ as a king. We carry Christ as a conqueror. We carry Christ as the Lord of all the earth, here and now, the Lord of every promise, the Lord of every plan. That's the king that we, we worship. He's not a baby anymore. I know we, we celebrate his birth and we look at the nativity, but how I wish the, word, the world would proclaim, Jesus Christ is Lord and King, conqueror of all. He's not a baby anymore. He's not in the manger. He went to the cross and he paid our price so that he could be buried in a dark place that he never wanted to be. And out of whatever dark place you find yourself, there is life afterwards. He was risen. He reigns. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And we sit in Him. We are highly favored. We are highly graced. And whatever promise God has for you, whether it's you're in timeout for your own good, build houses, plant gardens, or if He's saying it's time to move, It's time for the fulfillment of the promise. He will give you a word. And he will give you a confirmation. And he doesn't mind repeating himself over and over and over again so that you are sure that you know, that you know, that you know. This is God's plan. It's a work of his hand. And it will be fulfilled. Because no rama of God is impossible. Amen? Amen. Amen. I see my time is up. I'm going to close in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. Lord, who knew the nativity would show up in Jeremiah? Who knew that you were prophesying the future and the hope for every man, every woman, every child was going to come in the form of a baby? A work of your hands, something only you could do. Father, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you that the plans that you have for everyone here You will fulfill them. That you are involved in every plan. Father God, I thank you that you call us to worship you. Not because you desire worship, but because you desire relationship. You desire that we should hear the good plans you have for us. That you will give us the confidence to apprehend every good plan and every good word that you speak to us. Father God, I thank you. That the world does celebrate Christmas, though they may not celebrate it in its fullness, Father God, I thank you that the name of Christ is still exalted. Father God, I ask that you bless our Christmases this year, that in the midst of the hustle and the bustle and the presents and the baking and and the fun and all of the celebration, that in the midst of that we should see the work of your hand in every relationship, in every place. And Father, I bless I bless these here in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.